Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Man. We're 
we're told throughout the scripture that uh, we're made in God's image. It makes me wonder if God laughs and if he cries. He has these same emotions that we have, and I think perhaps he probably does. I think he uh, expressed his uh, great delights in the ability to, to enjoy that which he has created and, and perhaps to laugh as he has taught us to laugh, but also, I think, to cry, to weep. We see the evidences of in the Lord's life, his own son, those capabilities. But I, I want us to think in terms of, of the, uh, not the laughing, but the shedding of tears tonight, primarily, and ask the question, why do we cry? Why do we shed tears? What causes us to do that? The, the scripture that I read, I think, needs a bit of explanation in order to comprehend what it's saying. And we've got to go back earlier in the book of Numbers. The Hebrew people, as you remember, have been brought out of Egypt, perhaps three million strong. For 40 years, they've wandered around in the desert, in Arabia. And finally, we're ready to go into the promised land. Moses never did get in promised land, he was able to look into it. But Moses sent a group of men over into the land to survey it. Now this is where they had come from, but remember within 400 years, none of these people had ever seen them. Their ancestors had been there, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and even Joseph, a young lad, had, had known that land, but for all these 400 years, no one had that number had ever been there, and, and in the vacancy that was left by all of the Hebrew people going down to, to Egypt during the, the famine, when Joseph was sold into Egypt, other tribes of foreign people had moved into the land and had occupied it, and so Moses sends a, a body of spies over to look it over. And they come back with the report. They have both a good report and a bad report. They brought back pods of grapes that they carried on a rod over their shoulders. They talked about it being a land that flowed with milk and honey. It was bountiful. Plenty of green grass, plenty of fruit, a very productive land, certainly a land to be desired. And Moses said, well, let's go take it. Then came the bad news. The majority of those in the excavation in the expedition party came back and said, What? They're giants in the land. Huge people. Well, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. We can't possibly take the land. And two men by the name of Joshua and Caleb gave a minority report. And they said, yes, there are huge men, giants in the land, but we can take it. We can do it with God on our side. We can conquer that land. And he will give us that land. And put those people into our hands. And they gave a positive outlook. But the, the, the people of the tribes 
gathered around Moses and Aaron and began to cry and moan and weep. And all night long they bemoaned their faith and they cried, shed tears, because they found themselves in what they thought was a position of despair. They were desperate. They had come out of Egypt as a body of slaves, had spent 40 years, and none of them now were alive that started out of Egypt. But their families had spent 40 years wandering around, they'd suffered many difficult times, and now they've come to, to a point when they could possibly be victorious. And they listened to the discouraging words of the majority report, and it brought them to a point of despair, and they said, you simply have led us for 40 years in the wilderness to come to a place where we're going to die here at the hands of all these foreign people. It would have been better for us if we just simply turn around and left us a new leader and go back to Egypt. Now that's the attitude that a lot of people take. Get almost to the point of victory, of success, and the, the trauma and the trials and the difficulties of getting to that place uh, overcome us. And somebody said, we can't do it. And everybody believes, we just can't. And so people fail. They wept all night long. Because they were in despair. For they had come up against what they believed was an unsolvable problem. It was impossible to achieve their goal. And now they were in despair. This is one of the things that I discover in talking to the, the numbers of people that I talk to in counseling sessions. And I've done this over the years is that for the most part we find ourselves in despair and therefore absolutely incapable of achieving our goal. We just have given up. I've gone through that myself and I have seen it in a number of people. And we throw up our hands and say, what will I do? I can't, I can't go on. I can't try any longer. I can't fight anymore. I am defeated, I am down, I might just as well give up. And they're ready to throw in the towel. If you've never been at a point when you're ready to throw into the in the towel, I'd like to talk to you. I'd like to know how you succeeded in getting to this point in life without wanting to throw in the towel. And maybe many of you have actually gone ahead and tossed it in which is the symbol of giving up. It's just too tough to fight. And that's what they were saying. But they haven't learned yet that all things are possible to him that believeth. To those who are called according to God's purpose, there is no such word as defeat. If God is in it, who can destroy it? If God is our leader and we're following his plan, it may be tough, but we can 
succeed. But they hadn't learned that. So they took the next step after crying on each other's shoulders all night and bemoaning their fate and weeping in despair. They took the next step that always is taken, it seems. And that is, after the initial shock of saying, I can't, they turn and try to find somebody to blame as to why they can't. Put it on somebody else's shoulders. They were irresponsible in their accusation of others for their plight. So what did they do? They first they turned on Moses and Aaron. And they blamed Moses and Aaron for all their problems. You guys brought us out of Egypt. You brought us out here to die. Moses had heard this earlier during the 40 years. We might as well turn around and go on back home, but in order to do it, we're going to find us a new leader to take us back. Moses and Aaron are going to be put aside and they were going to have an election. They're going to blame Moses and Aaron for their problems. Find somebody else to be their leader. It's all your fault, they said to Moses. Not my fault. I didn't cause any of this. Moses, you did. Three million people turned and said, Moses, you are the responsible party. You're the cause of our grief. That's what the high priest, the chief priest, and others did with Jesus. They accused him of all the problems. When they get done finding some individual to blame, the next step is to blame the family. Get yourself in problems. This is a general statement. Somebody's going to turn to mom and dad and say, if you had brought me up right, I wouldn't be here. Mom and dad's going to get blamed. Then once we get done blaming our family, Maybe grandma and grandpa, as far as that's concerned. We're going to turn on our friends and we're going to blame the best friends we ever had for our problems. And so we have a split in friendship and one friend turns around and says, you're responsible for me for why I'm here. Then once that is done, they start turning on the church. And the church gets blamed for all the problems that a person's in before it's over the preacher. And he gets the blame. And then finally, the person turns on God and says, God's the blame. This is the pattern of people trying to find somebody to accuse for their being in the state we're in and never willing to accept personal responsibility. It's somebody else's fault. The school is wrong. The society is wrong. The church is wrong. The family is wrong. The best friend is wrong. The preacher is wrong. Somebody caused it, not me. Is the accusation. When you get on with all that, God is fault. And so they turn on God and they say, God brought us out here to kill us. And so they say, it's no use. We might just as well give up. And they were weeping in despair. Then secondly, I think we need to notice another type of weeping, although we don't find the, the actual tears that are involved in this particular passage. 
That's over in the fifth and the sixth verses. First of all, in verse 5, we find Moses and Aaron fell on their face before the whole assembly of the children of God. They were in despair. Can you imagine the tremendous burden these two fellows had in trying to lead a group of people who didn't want to be led now and say to them, look, fellas, we can take that land. When they were saying, look, Moses, we can't take the land, the majority of those who came back said it was impossible. Let's give up and go home. Go back to Egypt. Moses and Aaron had given 40 years of their life and leading this group of people. And I see Moses and Aaron at this point as being very disappointed, disillusioned, and they were in despair. Leaders get that way as well. I know as a pastor that on many occasions I have been to that point as pastor in absolute despair. I feel like throwing my hand and say, what's the use? Might just as well quit and get out. There is no way that this group of people, wherever it might be, has any interest in uh, going anywhere. Everybody wants to say, we can. The, the most common word is no. We've never done it that way before. We just can't possibly do that. Nobody cares is the attitude that Moses and Aaron possibly had. They were being saying, I've tried, and we're not appreciated. They were disappointed. Disappointed and in despair of themselves. They were disillusioned. They thought that they could bring this group of people to the promised land and enthuse them to say, let's go take it. To discover that the people wouldn't follow their leadership. And so they were disappointed and disillusioned. Then we find in verse 6, tears were shed because of difficulty. Joshua and Caleb were two young men. Joshua finally takes over the leadership from Moses and does lead the people into the promised land. These men came back and they were upbeat. They were positive. They gave them an artery report and it said, we can do it. We believe that it is possible for us to achieve this objective that God has set out. But how to get others to look forward, how to lead a group of people that don't want to be led, how to motivate was the problem that they faced. And it looked like that they weren't going to be successful. This rebellion of the majority report and all the people believing the majority, this rebellion brought Joshua and Caleb to the point of despair in feeling that they are not possibly going to be able to turn this body of people around and get them to do something that is positive. How are they going to motivate them? And this is the real problem that uh, churches have Pastors have, deacon boards have, and so on. Uh, leaders of women's groups and youth groups and so on is to turn the church and make it think positive about what can be done. Uh, I'm so pleased that when we started talking about a building program, 
or so years ago that there was positive thoughts about what we can do. There was very little negative things said. This is not ordinary in common. There's oftentimes there's a lot of negativism uh, placed upon trying to look forward and to build and plan for the future. Real discouragement also comes from those that all of us pray for who are lost, who need to be saved, and we work and we work and we pray and we talk and we plead and we do everything we possibly can do. And those individuals just say no. That's often discouraging. We're all faced problem. So the difficulties come inside the church, in our homes, in our private lives, we have our difficulties, and we begin to say we just can't achieve it, and we start looking down at our feet instead of on the clock. But there's a positive note in all of this tears that we're talking about, and then sometimes we shed tears of joy of despair and difficulty being despondent. Very few people do not shed tears when they're saved. Some do not, and that's quite all right. Tears are not necessarily an indication of the condition of one's heart. But oftentimes we will shed tears of tremendous joy when we accept the Lord Jesus as the Savior and the load of That was a happy moment. Some people cry easily. And that's good. Tears show up when there is forgiveness of sin in our life. Tears appear when somebody else is saved. I've seen many, many of you shed tears when somebody comes out of the seat and walks down an aisle. You're not shedding tears. You're so happy you can't do anything else but cry. That's good. Because it is a relief, a, a joyful experience. And I think we ought to shed tears, and many of us do, I'm sure, when our prayers are We may pray a long, long time before we get the response that was asked for in our prayers. But I think when we do, we ought to go to the Lord and thank Him for His forgiveness. Moses, after he recovered his uh, composure, went to the Lord with the problem of these people who wouldn't go into the promised land. He prayed earnestly for them. He reminded God that if God did not stay with these people and forgive them of this sin of, of belligerence, that the people all around say that simply that God did bring them out here into the desert to kill them. It would be a look at God if that were the case. And so he prayed, he said, I beseech you, earnestly he prayed, that God would use his power to forgive the sin of this people. Moses begged him. In verse 19 he says, Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according unto the greatness of thy mercy, as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt unto now. Now 
the purpose. God had forgiven him over and over and over again. For 30 years he'd been forgiven. And now he's about ready to strike them down for being so, so short-sighted and so negative and so discouraged. And Moses goes and pleads with him and begs for his mercy and reminds him that he had been merciful over and over and over again. You know, how many times are we to forgive? The disciples asked the Lord that. Should we forgive seven times? And that meant the perfect forgiveness? The Lord said, no. Forgive 70 times. Seven. <coughs> Calculate that out. That's 490 times. The point is, if you will forgive that long, you will continue to forgive. You've lost count a long, long time ago. There is never a point that we can legitimately say, no, I won't forgive long as somebody asks, the Christian must forgive. Every time if we are asked, we must forgive. And why? Because every time we go to God and say, God, forgive, he doesn't. Never once has he said, you've reached your limit. I'm not going to go to that place. Never. reminds God that he's always done this. God responded to Moses in verse 20. The Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. You ask for it, I will give it to you. What a relief that must have been to Moses, and I think he shed tears of joy that night. God had heard and responded to his prayer. Jesus spent a whole night in tears on more than one occasion, but one occasion that we have the response about his shedding tears and shedding, uh, perspiring so profusely that, that his body gave off sweat like blood and his, it, it ran through the capillaries in his body and dropped down to the ground like sweat. He was in agony. He was praying to God for you and me. When they hung him on that cross, he wasn't bitter against those below him who had cast lots for his clothes. He wasn't bitter for those who had lied against him. He wasn't bitter for those soldiers who drove the nails in his hands and his feet. Nor was he going to be bitter against that soldier that was about ready to throw that spear into his side. Not once. And he prayed, Father, forgive them. And we have to believe the Father forgave. As long as we pray for God's forgiveness, then we can be sure that he did it. And we can shed tears of joy that he has responded to our prayer. Just like he responded to Moses in the wilderness. He turned this group of people around and they went into that promised land under Joshua's leadership and took it because they finally turned from their despair and their worry and believed God to be made his word.
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.